Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So last week, Brock talked about lessons learned in the desert, and so this week I'm going to tell parables uh, or stories about some land that Catherine and I purchased a couple of years ago. And so when you think about parables, um, kind of the definition of parables is that they are stories which have a spiritual application. And the Bible says that Jesus often taught in parables. Um, And sometimes the meaning of the parable was communicated to us, and sometimes it wasn't. And so I'm going to kind of follow that guy today. I'm going to tell some stories, some parables, things that happened out on the land. I think all these stories are dripping with spiritual application. And some of them I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I think the application is. And some of them I'm just uh, believing that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you what they, they might be. So, I'm going to tell five different stories. And those are the five stories. Buying the land, quick fix, consequences. There's more under the surface. Fire and sand rock. So the first one is buying the land. So uh, for those of you who may not know, I am a a pastor here for the church, but I also own a small business. So this land is kind of more related to that, at least initially. And so that's why um, this this land uh, is something I was interested in. So in July of 2019, I was contacted about a neighborhood that was needing service that I provide. I'm an internet service provider that I use wireless technology to provide internet service. And so I was looking for a way to provide service in this neighborhood. And in my research, I found out that there was this 40 acres of land directly adjacent to this neighborhood that had some nice high spots on it that would be a good possibility for me to put a tower on one of those high spots and be able to provide uh, access to that neighborhood. And so from the, the Google Maps satellite view, it, it, you know, it looked pretty good. Uh, that's, that's the Google Maps satellite view. Um, you know, it looks like a pretty raw piece of land without really almost that, that, not that much on it. And if you look, you know, when you zoom down a little bit, you could find, well, maybe there's a, down there you see a couple of vehicles that might be down there. So, you know, I may have to haul off a few things, but it didn't look too bad. So, <laughs> Mike Adele's over there laughing <laughs> because he knows something. Um, so I tried to contact the owner. I looked up on the county assessor's website, found the owner's name, sent him a letter saying, hey, I'm interested in buying this land, and it was returned. Bad address. So directly across the road from this land was four 10-acre homesteads that four different people you know, had houses on. So I sent letters to all four of them saying, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of this guy. Uh, do any of you know how to get a hold of him? No response. 
And, you know, Google searches on this guy was like, he was like, you couldn't hardly find anything about him. It was, it was so weird, you know. It was like, how can this guy be so anonymous, you know? So I kept trying. Finally, I found an obituary of this guy's brother from like 2002, and it mentioned the, this, the owner of this land and another brother uh, as survivors of, of this guy that had passed away. And so I got the idea, well, maybe I could search for the other brother instead. So I did a search for the other brother, and I mean, like immediately, I came up with one of these websites that kind of has addresses and phone numbers of people, you know. A lot of times, you know, you think you've got it, then you go to it, and then they want you to pay 20 bucks to really get the information. But for some reason, this one, the phone number immediately came up of this guy that lived in Hilton Head, North Carolina. And so I thought, well, it was, it was a pretty odd last name, so I figured it was probably the same guy. So I make a phone call. And it rings, and then it goes to uh, the message, you know. And I'm like, oh, great, you know. So I, the, mess, the message comes on, so I start a message. You know, I'm try, actually trying to get a hold of the brother of who I think this phone number is because I'm interested in buying his land here in Oklahoma. And, and then all of a sudden, click, and this lady's voice comes on the line and says, yes, I'm the wife of the brother of the man you're looking to get a hold of and uh, she was you know in her 80s and we ended up having this wonderful 45 minute conversation and uh, I got to hear all about the history of the family that she had been a part of for 50 years um, and of her brother-in-law and his life which had been really a very sad life and found out that he had been homeless for many years and and she told me exactly that now he's now in a nursing home and gave me the name of the nursing home and the phone number and everything. So incredible blessing there, a providential meeting or conversation. So I located the owner um, and started this process of trying to, to buy the property. So in the meantime, I decided, well, maybe I ought to kind of look at this property and see what I'm getting into. So uh, I took a couple of visits, once by myself and once with my son and his friend to kind of scout out the land, kind of like the Israelites did, you know, when they were checking out the promised land. So we went out there and uh, we found some things. So the first thing we found was uh, there was quite a few of these kind of things on the land, quite a bit more than what we had uh, been able to see from the satellite image. And there was also a lot of this out on the land, <laughs> hidden under the trees that the satellite didn't pick up. Lots of junk in lots of different places. I've come to find out later that the owner had apparently uh, used this as kind of like a private landfill where he'd gone and cleaned out people's houses and instead of taking it to the dump, just brought it out and dumped it here. Which is, so um, we also found one other thing when we were there. This is an old 50s Willie's Jeep, and when my son and his friend were scouting out, my son's friend found this and was just amazed because you can't hardly see it, but the back bumper is still on it, and my friend's son has a Willie's Jeep that's restored that's almost exactly like this, and there was two things on it that he was missing. One of them was the back bumper, and the other one was the little button 
on the glove box. And this thing had both of them on it. And so you can imagine he was very excited about the possibility of buying this land so that he would be able to eventually get those. But, you know, with all that the land that, that was not good, there were large areas of the land that looked like this uh, that were totally uh, unscathed and, and, and in a natural state. So also, now kids, uh, those kids that are here, you really want to watch this. This was also something I found on my very first visit to the land. There's a buck. First time I visited land, I saw that, and that's the only time I've seen that buck. <laughs> so, we were real excited. Uh, something had caught within me about this land, and I, it was kind of hard to explain. So, I tried to buy the land, and, and so it ended up, the guy that owned it was in a nursing home. He was on Medicaid, and so DHS got involved, and so they decided, well, we needed an appraisal and we needed to get an attorney to represent him. And so we had to wait on all that. And, you know, the appraisal came in and it was clear that this, whoever did this appraisal had not walked the property because <laughs> it was appraised as if, you know, it was a pristine piece of land. And I knew that based on all the stuff that I'd seen, which was only a small percentage, that it was going to cost a lot of money to get rid of all that stuff off the land. So I tried to explain that to the attorney and he wasn't hearing any of it and uh, basically said well you can either buy it for the appraisal amount or you know that's it and so I tried to negotiate and to no avail he just wouldn't return my calls and stuff and so you know by the end of 2019 early into 2020 uh, you know it was pretty much over uh, I didn't know what to, what else to do but I just couldn't shake this desire for this land and it didn't help that every two or three months my son would call and say, my friend wants to know if you've made any progress on buying that land. I'd say, no, I haven't. Um, so September, early September 2020, months later, Catherine and I are drinking our coffee out on our patio and somehow the land issue comes up again. And I told her, I said, I am so tired of thinking about this land. I'm sick of it. And so I decided to pray to God. I said, I prayed to God. I said, God, either do something about letting me buy this land or take this desire away because I am just tired of it. Very passionate prayer for relief. So the next day, the next afternoon, I get this phone call. And it's a lady from DHS who had been involved in the case the previous year. And she said, yeah, I saw this case on my desk, and I was just wondering, did you ever buy that land? I said, no, I didn't. I said, and I went and told her the whole story of how frustrating it had been and everything. And she said, well, we need to sell that land. We need to get that land sold because, you know, he's on Medicaid. The state's paying for his nursing care, and he's got this property, you know, that should be paying for his nursing care up to the point where it gets spent. So she said, are you still interested in buying it? I said, yes, I am. And so she said, well, we're going to see what, what we can do. So she contacted the nursing home. They decided that 
they, wouldn't, they would do the negotiations directly with me. And so I ended up sending an offer to the administrator of the nursing home. And within two months, I owned the land. So sometimes, not always, and not even usually for me, <laughs> but sometimes God answers prayers so quickly that it is breathtaking. And you may say, well, why, why the wait? Why did, you have to, why did God make you wait so long? Well, sometimes it's really hard to know God's purposes and his timing. But I know one reason that he did was that right about the time that I bought this land, my son-in-law uh, had just ended a very kind of a painful business relationship. Um, and he was kind of downtrodden and was kind of trying to figure out what to do next in life. And he has really great abilities in, in uh, working the land and, and running farm machinery stuff. He had done it as a youth on his grandfather's farms and just looked back on that time with fond memories. And he was available to work on, out on the land. And so uh, it was a blessing for him because it provided some compensation. And it was a huge blessing for me because he had his skill sets way beyond anything I had. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not a farmer's person. I'm a city boy. And so he helped me when we bought a tractor and some implements. And he spent the next six months or six or seven months working on that land, clearing it, creating trails and roads and and uh, just doing all sorts of things. And it was just an incredible blessing for me and for our family. And I think during that time, uh, it was a blessing for him to really get his mind clear. Uh, he, during that time, he was in a D group with Rock. And by the way, Rock and Bev are back, I heard. <laughs> Welcome back. So he was in a D group with Rock. And during that time, he had a chance to kind of do some of the Bible studies and stuff out there, and uh, he said it was just a really wonderful spiritual experience for him. So, so that could, that, I think that's definitely one of the reasons that we got to wait. So, anyway, the story of how we bought the land. So, the next story is quick fix consequences. So, as some of the pictures showed, we had a lot of junk and trash to deal with out there. Oh, by the way, before I go into this, uh, I want to do a shout out to Mike Adele. Uh, right after we bought the land, uh, Mike agreed to go out there with me and we were going to try to get to all four corners of the land and pray God's blessings on it. And so he came out with me. He, he bought some anointing oil and brought it with him. And so we used our loppers and our hand tools and stuff and cut through uh, to get to all four corners of the land and anointed it with oil and prayed for God to bless this land. So it was, it was a real, I'll never forget that experience. So thank you, Mike, for doing that. So anyway, quick fix. We had a lot of trash to deal with, including a lot of glass and bottles, glass windows and other paper, plastic, metal items, all those machinery and stuff. You know, this junk was not of our making, but we inherited it, and now we had to deal with it because, of course, the former owner had not. In fact, he had, for the most part, brought it out there. So because of that, I succumbed, and we succumbed to pressure to try to fix 
the problem very quickly. You know, I had these, these crazy thoughts going on in my mind. Well, I need to clean this up now because I just, what would the neighbors think? You know, well, it was so overgrown, you couldn't even see in there. So they didn't even, they couldn't see what the land looked like really. But, and, and it, you know, I just had this desire. It's like, this needs to be cleaned up. And so, you know, I've, I've heard someone say, when you buy land, you shouldn't really do anything major on it for a year until you kind of really get to figure it out and get to know it. But I just was, had this desire to, to really fix it quickly. And so what this did is it led to this, what I call a big hammer approach. And so what I did is I brought in, I hired this company that brought in this big skid steer and a big excavator and then these semi-trucks of dump, dump trucks to accumulate and, and load stuff into, into them and, and cart it off. And in theory, that sounded like a pretty good idea. But the problem was, um, this is kind of the aftermath of them coming in with their big machinery. Uh, if, if it was all big stuff, that would have worked okay. But there was lots of small stuff, cans and bottles and all this kind of stuff. And so that skid steer would go in there and try to, you know, accumulate all that stuff. And it ended up breaking all those glass bottles and the, and the windows and stuff. And so it ended up uh, putting lots of gr broken glass and other small items on and under the surface. And so we've been cleaning up the area that we did that in since. And, you know, sometimes we'll take a particular area and clean it up, pick all the, gra the glass and stuff off, and it looks really good. And then there comes a heavy wind or a rain, and then more stuff is revealed that needs to be addressed. And so we should have spent more time meticulously cleaning up the smaller stuff before bringing in the big machines to remove everything. And this is what we're doing now with the, the, other, the other areas. We're going in, and Catherine and I literally get down on our hands and knees and and pick all that stuff up out of the ground, put it into trash bags, get all the little stuff cleaned up so that we can then get, get the bigger stuff cleaned up later. And we somehow enjoy that, which I don't know, we're crazy, I think, but anyway. So, um, you know, quick fixes can come back to bite you. Another thing, uh, there's more under the surface. So here's a picture of, uh, if you can see there, there's, you know, some tires and trash cans and stuff, but there's also a bunch of glass bottles there kind of in the foreground. And <laughs> a lot of times we'll, we'll say, okay, we're going to clean up this area. So we'll go over there and start cleaning. And, you know, you, you see these things on the surface and you think, well, this won't take too long. But then when you start getting in there and cleaning them up and you realize there's three to four times more stuff underneath those than you realized. And so we realize that sometimes when you're seeing things that there's a whole lot more under the surface than you, than you realize is there by looking at the surface. The next thing I want to talk about is fire. Uh, we've had a lot of experiences with fire out on the land, both good and bad. There were a number of wildfires that came across the land that kind of pockmarked the land with a bunch of dead cedars. Um, but looking at all of, of all the different experiences we've had with fire has kind of resulted 
with me focusing on some of the biblical passage that mention fire. You know, the ones like God is a refining fire. And, you know, in Luke 3.16, John the Baptist talking about Jesus, he said, you know, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So as you listen to these, I got three or four little short fire stories. I, I encourage you to ask God for applications of these stories to the, the fire of God. So the first one is, uh, I call it the fire department story. I was encouraged by a, a, a gentleman out in that area to join the local volunteer fire department, not join it as being a volunteer, but to sign up, you know, pay the annual fee to be serviced by them. It's like 50 bucks. And so if you sign up with them, if, if there's a fire on your property, then they were, and they have to respond to it, there'll be no charge. Compared to the possible multi-thousand dollar bill that you get if they have to come in and put out a fire and, and you haven't signed up with them. So I thought about that's probably a good idea, but you know I you know I didn't do it immediately, and uh, so one day, a couple three four weeks later, on on my way out to the land, I was kind of prompted to stop by the department and go ahead and sign up. Now the, the issue with volunteer fire departments is they're not staffed all the time, so you never know if anyone's going to be there. So, and it was a little bit out of the way to go there from our land, but I just I talked to Catherine and said I'm like to do this. And she said, okay. So we drove up, we drove by the fire department, and sure enough, the volunteer chief happened to be there, along with an older gentleman who had been the chief for 20 years prior to the current chief. And so I signed up and ended up having this 30-minute conversation slash education about the area, the previous fires that they put out on the land, uh, their recollections, recollection, recollections of the previous owner, and they had some stories. <laughs> and also their recommendations for different services out there, like who's, who build roads, who's a good electrician, water well guy, and everything else. I mean, I took detailed notes that I have since referenced a lot of times. So it was an incredible providential meeting, I thought. And little did I know how much this was the case until a little time later. So as I mentioned, there was these dead cedars out there on the property from previous fires. So what we were trying to do there was, uh, you know, I'd heard that you could get this skid steer that would, could chip up all these cedar trees and uh, kind of turn into almost like a mulch. Well, um, the problem with that is that um, I didn't understand that... Uh, The, uh, okay, I lost my place here. Four, five, six. Yeah, so the, the problem with that is that there's a difference between uh, cedars that have been dead for several years that went through a fire and cedars that you've just recently cut. Uh, the cedars that you've recently cut, you know, you can mulch them up into nice, fine little mulchy stuff, the cedars that have been sitting there for several years after a fire that have totally dried out, that are totally dead, when you try to mulch them, it's, it's like it, 
it just turns them into miniature baseball bats. It's <laughs> basically what you get. So it didn't really work very well. And so uh, not only did it not work very well, but a few hours after this gentleman started his work, uh, I got a call and that uh, his skid steer had caught fire. And so this is a picture of his burnout skid steer. And so um, we called the fire department <laughs> and they came out along with a couple other neighboring departments and they put out the fire and they, they limited the burn area around the vicinity of the skid steer. Uh, and so it wasn't, it wasn't really that big of a deal on our land and I was not charged for the service. And so having a conversation out on the land that day with those two gentlemen that I had talked with a week before in the, in the, in the fire department was pretty surreal. And so I'm so thankful that I heeded the prompting I'd received the prior week and made the effort to visit the fire station. It, it reminded me the importance of listening to that still, small voice of God. In Isaiah 30, 21, it says, Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. So I am just praise the Lord for giving me that prompting. Okay, so the next thing is uh, consuming fire. We had a burn pit dug out there, and that was one of many fires that we have, uh, have burned in there. And so uh, we were able to have been able to dispose of many of the dead trees that we inherited when we bought the land. And so some thoughts on, on fire, consuming fire. You know, when we start that fire in that burn pit, you start the fire in a very small strategic area of the burn pile. But it's amazing how quickly the fire will spread throughout the pile from that one small catalyst. You remember the old, the old praise song? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Boy, that is so true. It's also pretty amazing how quickly huge amounts of, of stuff burn up into almost nothing. And we keep filling up the burn pit we had dug, burn it, and then it's almost like there's nothing there. It's just kind of crazy. Another thing is every fire is different. Depending on the burn content, the humidity, the wind direction, and other factors. So next is a story of a grass fire. So that, that pit that you saw, uh, this earlier this year there was we were doing a fire and there was a little bit of dead grass around the pit because it was you know early in the year, the grass hadn't started growing yet, and so you know it was a pretty full pit was pretty full and so. Uh, every once in a while, there might be a little bit of a flare-up and, and it would kind of move out of the pit and catch the grass right on the edge on fire. But we were able to easily extinguish it by just hitting on it with a, a flat shovel and, and it would stop because it wasn't really that big a deal. And so we thought we were okay. You know, we, we had it under control. And so then uh, Catherine left to go get some more buckets of water just in case we need it later. And, and as she was gone... Uh, the fire hit some really dead cedar branches and it just flared up and the intensity increased dramatically. 
And so it reached out again and started burning the grass on the edge. And so I said, well, I'll just go hit it again with that shovel. Well, I'd hit it with that shovel and it was like no impact. <laughs> I'm like, no, wait a minute, this worked last time. It's not working now. And not only was it not working, but it was so hot, I couldn't even stay there because my face was burning and stuff. And so I started freaking out. I was like, what in the world am I going to do here? And so finally, Catherine showed up and we were able to pour some water on that and get it stopped. And then it, you know, the fire burned down and stuff. So um, it just kind of reminds me of, of when Jesus was, was talking to Nick, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And he said, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And I think the same concept applies to the fire of the Holy Spirit. If it's hot enough and the wind is blowing fast enough, you can't really control it. And it kind of reminds me of uh, Brock's sermon a couple of weeks ago about uh, when Saul was on the road to Damascus. You know, he got hit by the fire of God and, and it was all over for him in terms of his, uh, his uh, resistance to the Lord. So it also makes me think about one day, this universe, everything that we see, will meet the same fate as those burn piles that we've put into that burn pit. You know, in 2 Peter 3, Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in them will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Okay, those are my fire stories. Now I want to talk about sand rock. And uh, the road that my land is on is called Sand Rock Ridge. And so we call our, the property, we call it Sand Rock 40 is what we call it because it's 40 acres. And so that's kind of the name we've called it. And so, um, the re and you, you might say, well, why, why is it called Sand Rock Ridge? Well, that's because there's sand rock out there that has these kind of properties. So those rocks, when we first kind of dug them up out of the ground, we thought, well, those would really be good to be used in certain areas, you know. And then we realized, oh, wait a minute, they, they're not as strong and as solid as we thought. So sometimes, you know, you might think something that looks like it's a good foundation to build on. And, and when it comes under pressure, it ends up cracking. And it really isn't all that great a foundation. And so... You know, when you're looking for something to build on, whether it be a, a building or your life, you need to test it to be sure that, that it's a, a firm foundation. And so, you know, just looking at that, I just ask the question, you know, what's the foundation of your life? You know, I, I think of examples of kind of sand rock types of foundations that 
people can sometimes have and not realize that, you know, the powers of this world, the governmental systems of this world, uh, your assets, your bank account balances, your job, your intelligence, your skills, uh, the praise of men. You know, back in the 2002, uh, I ended up, uh, I had quit my job the previous year and, uh, and uh, then 9-11 hit. And, and I quit the Friday before 9-11. And I was just sure that I could find another job because, you know, I'm an accounting graduate and I'm a computer guy and I'm so smart and have so much experience and anyone would want to hire me. You know, I couldn't find a job to save my life. You know, I was like, what in the world? And so finally, I, you know, I went through these agencies and stuff and this guy that I'd worked with almost 20 years before, his resume came across my desk. And he had this temporary position that paid, you know, half of what I was getting paid previously uh, available. And so he chose my name uh, and ended up hiring me. And just because he had known me from 20 years before. And... That was a job that I really needed, uh, even though it was humbling <laughs> to take that at the time. Um, and so, but during that time, it really changed my perspective on a lot of things, on what are you going to put your foundation on? You know, right now, my company that I own <clears throat> is through some new competition, some governmental funding that's funding competitive forces. Our revenue uh, is... Every week we're losing that number of customers in a way that we haven't for a long, long time. And so I got to have to kind of, I have to just say, Lord, you know, I trust you in this. And I, I don't want to put my trust in this business that you've given me. I give it to you. And if, you know, was, I think it was a Job that said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, you know, we've had these promises. You know, Chris Reed, when he was here, had this promise about my company that, when it looked like things weren't going to go well, that it was going to succeed. And so I'm kind of like, okay, I'm kind of in the middle of this right now. Um, so, I, you, know, I don't, you know, sometimes they say when you're like right here and you've got this promise that you're going to go up here, a prophetic word that says you're going to go here, a lot of times what happens, you have to go down here before you get up there. So I'm definitely on the way down there right now. So I'm believing that uh, that's what's happening. Um, of course, it could be that I'm, you know, starring in a new remake of the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth. I don't, I don't know. No, I'm believing for the other thing. So, but sometimes I wonder. <laughs> so, at this time, if, if the worship team and the elders for communion that are going to be serving communion, if you go ahead and come up. So, what is, what, what's the foundation of your life? Uh, what are you basing your your life upon. Uh, one time I was meeting, I was meeting with a guy I worked with in an accounting firm years ago. I was like 23 at the time. And he, he said, you know, I live by the adage that the man with the most toys at the end wins. And I was like, wow, really? That just, 
it was just like, really? That's what you're living your life on? And, you know, but sometimes I think, you know, do I, am I really kind of living that way sometimes when I don't, when I don't think about it? Is there, time, is there areas in my life where I, I'm doing the same thing? So, you know, the old hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. So if you're building on any other foundation than Christ, you're eventually going to pay the price for that error in judgment. So Jesus Christ is the stone that the builders rejected, but it's now become the cornerstone, and salvation is found in no one else. As Paul or Peter said in Acts 4.11, For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. And so Jesus is the firm foundation Matthew 7, he's the living stone in 1 Peter 2, 4. He's the cornerstone, and he's the only source of salvation in Acts 4, 11, and 12. So as we partake of communion today, I would encourage you to uh, just ask God, you know, is, are you relying on any foundation other than Jesus in any areas of your life? And if he points any of them out to you, I would encourage you to repent of that and give that area back to him. Put your all of your foundation, all areas of your life on the foundation of Jesus because it's the only one that is worthy to be relied upon.